I was on vacation all last week, so y'all are in trouble. I spent a whole week with God on the beach. I had a dream Wednesday night. <laughs> this is embarrassing. That a giant shrimp was chasing me, trying to kill <laughs> A shrimp was trying to kill me. I went on a 40-day fast one time and had a dream that a cheeseburger saved my life. <laughs> Some of you have a hard time hearing the Father and connecting with Him because many times we're more serious than He is. He's lighthearted. He's joyful. I ate so many shrimp this week. You know, it's, it's interesting. When you go on vacation, normal rules don't apply. You know what I mean? I wake up in the morning at 7.30 a.m. You know, when you're at home, your breakfast is like an apple, Oswald Chambers devotion, cup of coffee, maybe listen to WLJ to get you going for a few minutes. When you're on vacation, I open the refrigerator at 7.30 a.m. And for breakfast, you eat things for breakfast on vacation you would never think of. Well, at least I do. I don't know. I do. I ate so many shrimp. How many, do we have any shrimp people in here? And right now, some of you health nuts, are, you want to tell me that it's not healthy to eat shrimp. I don't care what you got to say about that. <laughs> Paul's talking about you can drink poison and not harm you. Lay off this shrimp is bad for you, garbage. Well, you know, shrimp's actually from the bottom of blah, 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 and I read in some book written by some skinny, miserable person that... <laughs> My wife ate, she ate 10 shrimp in a restaurant. She's going to kill me. She's downstairs with our kids, so she can't hear me until later. I said, babe, you need to clean the shrimp before you eat them. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, sweetie, it's a shrimp. And I showed her. She's like, oh, my goodness. What have I been doing all these years? So, so that's what's wrong with you. You don't clean the shrimp. We had a good time. I, I, um, I took a long walk with the father on uh, one of the mornings, Wednesday morning, for a long time, like over two hours. And I said something to him. I said, I don't, I just want to hear some, some fresh revelation and truth from you. I don't really don't even care what you tell me. I just want you to talk to me for two hours. And I want to preach what he told me on the beach. And I think it's a great recipe for sermon prep. So I'm going to be moving my residence during the week from now on. <laughs> I'm like, God, this is amazing. I hear you more at the beach. You know, I think we just, if you walk with God, he'll talk to you. And I want to, I want to, I want to talk about what he shared with me. It's the Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would just give us so much revelation that we feel guilty about it. Don't you guys just want some revelation? I mean, I've heard so many boring sermons. There's times I get tired of hearing myself talk. I want to hear from the Father. I want revelation. Paul said, he didn't say I prayed at once. Paul said in Ephesians 1, 17, I keep on praying that the Father would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I keep on praying. Step one to getting a higher level of revelation than you currently have, ask him a lot for it. <laughs> you have not because you... It's very dangerous in the kingdom to wait for him to come to you. Only one time in the Gospels does he heal someone where he went to them first. Um, I took Sam yesterday 
to the Masters Golf Tournament. My dad grew up in Thompson, Georgia, and we've been going to the Masters. The first time I went to the Masters, I think I was nine, and I've been every year, and now I'm 45. And we went yesterday, and Sam and I had a phenomenal day together. I think he's in here. I don't think he's serving downstairs. There he is. Everybody look at Sam. Let's give Sam Norris a hand. Just turned 15 years old. He just turned 15 years old this week. I bought him a $50 steak for his birthday. He's going to pay that off this week. Uh, Sam and I didn't have any colossal, huge conversations yesterday at the Masters. But we spent about 10 hours together and just being together. And I had a really strange moment yesterday because the, the golf course at Augusta National is one of the few places on earth that rarely ever changes. So where I was sitting was on the right side of number 15 where I used to sit with my dad. And I have a memory of sitting beside the green on number, number 15 when I was 15 years old. And I actually got on TV and it's a really funny story. I'm sure I could dig it up somewhere, but I was on TV and a guy named Lauren Roberts made an 80-foot putt. I remember it like it was yesterday, but the truth is it wasn't yesterday. I'm 45 years old. So let's see, 15 to 45. I went to UGA. Give me a second here. So 30, <laughs> 30 years ago, I sat in the same place with my dad that I'm now looking down in this giant human who was just born yesterday. He was just, just born. How many of you, you just, you get tired of hearing it, but it's so true. Time flies. And uh, I wasn't emotional about it. I didn't have any angelic encounter, but I just, I just did some mental math. And it went a little bit like this. If you would have told me at age 15 years old that I would pastor a charismatic church in Greenville, South Carolina and have two published books on walking with the Holy Spirit, there is zero chance I would have believed that. I, you don't go to many places on the earth that don't change. Because everything in life is always changing. It's like Eddie Vedder said in one of his songs with Pearl Jam back when I was in college. We change by not changing at all. Everything changes. But you go to Augusta, it never changes. It's always the same. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, it seems like yesterday. I can still remember the spot I was sitting and I ask the question, how did I get here? Do you ever look around at your life and you wonder, how in the world did I get to where I am? <laughs> I meet so many people. I say, what brought you to Bridgeway? They say, I have no idea. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit. How many of you have moved from out of state because God just told you to move and you didn't know why? Get your hands up high. Look at this. Look at this. I promise you ain't moving here because of my preaching. There's nothing fancy about me. There's nothing fancy about really any of this. I went to a porty potty this morning that was so cold, it felt like I was in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. <laughs> Y'all ain't moving here for the coffee. <laughs> and so I sat there for 15 minutes and I was talking back and forth to God. Sam didn't even know I was doing it. I was like, how in the world did I get here? Giant human who's about to get his first job. He'd be off to college in three years or whatever God's going to do with him. A pastor of a church called Bridgeway Church. I, I didn't even know what a word of knowledge was. 
I, I was so fearful of man. He looked at me wrong. I'd fall apart. How did I get here? And God said, you got to where you are from a bunch of yeses. A bunch of yeses. You see, if you're not careful, you'll define salvation as that one moment where you said yes to Jesus. God doesn't see it that way. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God sees way bigger than that one moment. A lot of people, you say, well, tell me about your walk with with Jesus. Well, I gave my life to Jesus 47 years ago. That's not really the way God looks at it. God is a present tense God, not just past and future. And he loves the present. If we're not careful, we'll say yes to God periodically when he's actually presenting before us every day, every day, every day, opportunities to say yes. And the compound interest adds up. And 31 years later, you have no idea how you got there other than you said yes, 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 yes. See, but the difference in the kingdom and being born again, in the kingdom, you have to say yes every day. Being born again, you actually don't. But in order to walk in the kingdom, you have to say yes every day. And the higher you get elevated, he gives you more opportunities to say yes or no. Uh, Joe and I did a podcast recently. I listened to it at the beach, actually. And the question was, will God ever oppose any of his own kids? The answer is yes. Do you know if you keep telling God no or if you keep ignoring him as though you don't know it's him talking to you? He'll love you and he'll be waiting on you in eternity and will just hand your assignment to someone else? <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm in a great mood. Masters is on today. I'm not here to pop any balloons. I just want to talk about the truth that if you make too many plans for your own life, you don't give him room to like give you his plans. Can we go to Jeremiah 29, 11? So this is old covenant, same principle still applies. For I know the plans I have for you. I'm gonna make this so simple. You have to hire a South Carolina fan to help you misunderstand. I had three things go through my mind. Clemson fan, lawyer, or South Carolina fan. If you don't give Holy Spirit room to deliver his preordained plans for your life, You may go a lifetime and be going to heaven when you die, but never see a huge catch of fish the way Simon Peter did. Because if you put your hands on something that grace is not on, it doesn't work. It doesn't take away your righteousness. I'm not talking about being righteous. I'm talking about why do some people produce so much dadgum fruit in their lives? You know, the reason that for some of you that God's not moving in your business is it was never his plan for you to start that business. He still loves you. He likes you, prays for you. The moment I turn away from my plans and what I want, I am Chad, for I know the plans I want for myself, Chad. <laughs> if you think at age 15 that I thought I was going to pastor a church, I told God when I was 16, I had a radical encounter with God. I told him the night I had the encounter, out of my mouth, out loud, I will never pastor a church. Which shows me he's, he's pretty secure in his own self. <laughs> Poor little thing. Matter of fact, I think sometimes when you say that, it's like, increase the assignment. I will never walk in wealth. I will never walk in wealth. For I know the plans I have for you. We have two options here. Make our own plans and ask the Father to bless them. 
Holy Spirit says, son, I know you want to go to college. My plans for you is not college, but I got to go to college because my dad went to college. My great dad, granddad went to college, and my, my father, grandfather's middle name is Duke. He started Duke University. That's not my plans for you. And you go to college, and the grace is not on it, and you can't catch a fish. And the nets, they're dried up. They can't even find the lake. It's because his plans for you never were to go to college. I love being around radically obedient people. People that are not irresponsible, because if you're not careful, you'll say, well, I don't ever need a plan for my life. Now, you probably need to go grocery shopping this week. You might need to every once in a while go to the gym and at least look at the elliptical. If you're not going to get on it, at least look at it. <laughs> there's, that, there's that one guy that goes to my gym, and I, one of these days, I'm just going to have the courage to say, can I ask you a question? Are you ever going to do anything in here? <laughs> you might need to have a plan, but a lot of people, oh, Lord, this is going to be awful. What people call wisdom, the Father actually calls control rooted in fear. And we, we act responsible. We got 19 day planners. And we got the next 10 years lined up. And I've read the last 20 leadership books. And the Holy Spirit says, are you ever going to give me an opportunity to lead you anywhere? See, a lot, of, a lot of people, when they say, I just don't know what's next, I feel bad about that. Well, how do you not know you're not abiding so deep in the vine that you're just waiting? You're just waiting patiently for the Father to reveal his plan for you. If you'd have told me I'd have gone to Beeson Divinity School, a Reformed seminary, and then would have a radical encounter with Jesus Christ and see blind eyes open and write two books on Holy Spirit living. We're in a series on the Holy Spirit. And then be a part of merging two churches in a town that's been known as the buckle of the Bible belt. And I'd meet, I'd meet two people called the Hancocks and I could go on. You, you can too in your stories. The greatest narratives in the world are the narratives that they never saw it coming. The Apostle Paul is the second most influential person who's ever lived. I promise you, in his iPhone, it did not say, remind me when I'm on my way to Damascus that it's coming. <laughs> I do that. People make fun of me all the time. I, I talk to my phone all the time because if I don't, I forget. Remind me at 4 p.m. to watch the Masters. I doubt Paul, I doubt Paul is saying, remind me that I'm about to actually write a bunch of letters to churches that will end up being canonized scripture that uh, a couple of thousand years later, a country that's undeveloped called the United States of America, they will be teaching what I write. You know what Paul's thinking? I am so tired of Jehovah being defamed that I'm going to kill all these zealots. And then, <laughs> suddenly, you know our suddenly moments even though they seem suddenly, they're typically planned by God way in advance. Even suddenly moments have been in motion for a long time. Many of us have a hard time seeing Holy Spirit activity in our lives because we're putting our hands to something that the Holy Spirit never told us to put our hands to. There are pastors that pastor churches that God never called them to. There are authors writing a book because they had a successful book 14 years ago. It's not writer's block. It's a lack of grace. You can write till Jesus Christ comes back unless there's grace on something that's not going to go. And then you meet that person where everywhere they are, it looks like they're in a strawberry field or something. There's like fruit everywhere. How is this person producing so much fruit? There's actually a formula to it. They only do what he says to do, when he says to do it, and how he says to do it. I was on vacation this week. I had to spend a few hours one morning reading a book on social research methods. I would rather chew on a um, 
cat's tail than read this book. I had to pray in tongues to understand this book. But you know what's interesting? God, I didn't, I never, I told God, I'm not going to seminary. I'm not going to pastor a church. Well, he made me go to seminary. Now he's making me get a doctorate. But you know, here's what's, here's what's weird about it. Actually, in the middle of it, there's a grace on it. And I'll sit down the type and it's just like, how's this coming out of me? I don't even know what I'm saying. And it just gets on paper and I read it and I'm like, that's pretty good. That's really good. You want to know, you don't want to know why? There's grace. You see, when there's grace on something, fish hop into your net. And if fish are not hopping into your net, it doesn't mean you're a terrible person. You might just need to turn to the other side of the boat, perhaps the side of the boat that he told you three years ago to turn to. Intercession is a waste of time when I'm actually being disobedient to what he's asking me to do and I'm trying to render the heavens and, and get God to move. When God's saying, I did move, I moved when I told you what to do three years ago and you didn't do it. Here's why he's so gracious, though, and so amazing. I love him. As soon as you turn from the other side of the boat and turn to where you're supposed to turn, here come the fish. You see, favor is um, it's just not fair. It's, it's um, how does Dr. Bruce Cook define it in his book? It's an, um, a competitive, unfair advantage. An unfair competitive advantage. There's so many times in my life when I've tried to make something happen. This is embarrassing. I'll tell you this. There have been people I've reached out to to minister to the table at the table conference. They won't call me back. And there's other people. It is as though it's like God gives them a dream they're supposed to speak at the table. And in the last two conferences we've done, it's been explosive, not because of who the speaker is. I, I, was, I was filming with Darren Wilson about a year ago, and God told me that Will Hart was going to minister at this past table conference. Will had one weekend open in 52 weekends. One I hadn't asked Will. God wanted Will. What's the whole point of this? I love walking with God because when you're walking in intimacy with him and your nets are filling up with fish and there's fruit of everything you're touching, you can't even get any credit for it. It's like, God, I'll boast in the success, but what I'm boasting in is you because I had nothing to do with it. Simon Peter was a professional fisherman. This is how many fish he caught. The Lord comes strolling in and says, hey, throw it right over there. Perhaps, perhaps, I'm going to go a little bit different direction than I was thinking. Perhaps your nets aren't filling up. Not because he's, it's not that he's even mad at you. It's just you're in a stall process with God because where he told you to throw the net, you haven't thrown it. Favor is undeserved, but actually favor does follow obedience. Because the nets didn't fill up until Simon threw them over there. If Simon doesn't throw the net, it doesn't, it doesn't fill up. God actually killed Goliath, but David had to throw the rock. If I'm not throwing rocks at my giants and I'm not throwing the net where I'm supposed to be throwing it, I'm not even giving favor an opportunity to fill my nets up. And so a lot of times what we do is one of two things. We complain about a lack of fruit in my life or I moan and complain about someone else's net that's filling up and I start judging them and I say, well, God is against me. Listen, I, can we go back to Jeremiah 29? God's not against you, guys. God's not against me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. The litmus test here is John 10.10. 10. Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The most deceptive theology in the church is if something is stealing, killing, and destroying you, you give in praise to God for that. You might want to read the word. 
But I have come, they may have life and have it more abundantly. Here's the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. God wants to prosper us. Matter of fact, we're about to go through a series on wealth here and how to think through finances in a few months. And we're just going to hammer that little, that little spirit that tells us that, that poverty is better and lack is better. We're going to go after that thing. But even though he does want us to prosper, I'm just going to say that prosperity follows my obedience to his voice. And the voice that I'm following is the Logos written word. Matter of fact, I'm about to read Acts 16, the whole thing. But also his rhema word. And see, I have never taught this, thought this, or read this, but I want to say this. Many times the people who struggle with this message the most are the most highly prophetic people in circles. Because you can have success for a long time and even be leading a lot of people in your business, but the Spirit begins to talk to you about, hey, don't go to Macedonia, go to this other place. If you don't go to where the Father tells you to go, I don't care how talented and gifted you are, I don't care if you walk in wealth, you have to go where the cloud is going, and if not, a grace will lead, leave you, O prophetic one. Because the gift was never about you in the first place. The gift of wealth was never about you in the first place. The gift of leadership was never about you in the first place. The gift was from the gift giver. All good gifts come down from the Father of lights. And it's really none of my business to discern why he's telling me to change directions. Let, let's go to it right now. This is, this is Acts 16. Never preached this before. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to join him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. I bet that was just a fun moment for Timothy uh, because of the Jews <laughs> who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the regions of that place and then Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of province in Asia. Did you catch that? Can we go back? Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, but I thought we're supposed to go into all the world, go into everywhere. I thought I have free reign to pre I'm going to Asia. God's on me. I'm going to Asia. I got the gospel on me. I'm going to Asia. God told him not to go to Asia. I don't care if you were given a word 17 times 14 years ago that hasn't come to pass. You do whatever the Father's telling you to do, when to do it, and how to do it, and where to do it. And even though you have jurisdiction to go to Asia, Asia may not be your place, and the nets aren't going to fill up. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, I don't even know if that question's even in play. You know, a lot of all you young people is like, what's next for me in my life? There's one person, there's actually there's three, there's three people in your life that know more than anyone about what's next for you. It's the Trinity. He didn't go to Asia. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go to Asia. Why? I don't know. Next verse. When they came to the border of Mysia and they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. A lot of times we think we're battling the enemy and we're fighting against Jesus. I just don't understand. I cannot get any breakthrough in this job. I can't get any breakthrough this and that and this and that and this and that. It's because it's not what the one who has plans to prosper you wants for you. <laughs> we overcomplicate it. Christians are amazing. We will give so much credit. We, we think we're battling the enemy and we're battling the Father. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. Plans. He's the plan giver. If I make my own plans and they don't work and then I blame God, that's pretty silly. It's like sometimes I tell my three kids, stop. We're not going to go to counseling. We're not going to read James Dobson's book. Just don't do that. But, Dad, I thought it was cool if I could stick a key into a socket because it kind of zips me when I do that. How about this? Don't do that. How about this? Jesus does not owe me any reason for why I can't go to my Asia. Father, what's on your mind today? Don't go to Asia. You know what? You know what I think is a brilliant idea? I ain't going to Asia. A lot of people think that... if. Competency is so overrated. The best form of leadership is to know you're not the leader and just do whatever the leader says. You want to know why we're doing a Fear Man series after this? He told me to. You want to know why we're going after the poverty spirit? He told me to. Uh, We're doing a series, a three-week series this summer called Make Your Bed, and someone prophesied over it at the men's retreat. You know why we're doing a series called Make Your Bed? God told me to. We overanalyze everything. My sheep shall hear my voice. Good grief. You don't need to fly out the Philadelphia Prophetic Conference of Signs and Wonders and Glory Cloud and get anointed by 10 global leaders. Get on your knees and say, Father, what's on your mind? Some of you need to go to the Ascent School because he's going to tell you to. You know what you should do? You probably should do it. Ron Arbonke's 765-page autobiography, I can sum it up in one statement. About three-fourths of the way through, Reinhardt said that John 2.5 summarized his life. John 2.5 says this. Mary looked at the people filling the bats up with wine, pointed to Jesus, and said, Do whatever he tells you to do. Our disobedience gets us in trouble way more than spiritual warfare. Many times, the enemy is not the big bad devil. He's defeated at the cross. The enemy is that big, beautiful person you're looking at in the mirror. When they came to the border, okay, next, next, so Jesus tells them no on two places. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. I love Paul. Paul gets blinded at Damascus. Ananias gets him straight, and Paul basically just does whatever God says the rest of his life. During the night, Holy Spirit series, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. I want to ask a question. How in the world did Paul get to Macedonia? Because I'm sitting there at the Masters, and I'm like, how did I get here? I mean, 10 years from now, I kind of think, sort of know where Bridgeway's going. Not really. I think I do, but not really. It's a bunch of yeses. Paul had a plan, was being spirit-led to go to one city. Holy Spirit said no, or one place, can't go to Asia. And uh, and then you can't go to the next place. And then he goes to sleep and has a dream to go into Macedonia. Why did God not tell him this earlier? Here's why. I actually know why. God showed me on the beach. If God tells us stuff too soon, it does not allow for the recipe to be groomed where faith arises. And faith is the currency of heaven. Where there is no faith, there is no power with God. God doesn't wait till the last second to tell you something. You're thinking about it from your terms. He tells you something when he wants you to know it. It's not, well, God waited to the ninth hour. According to whose timetable? Man, this is good. This is good. I love this. I love it when I got a bunch of notes here, but I hadn't thought about this. We say, well, God came at the ninth hour. On whose watch? He, this is right on time for God. Hey, give the fella down there sleeping. Give him the dream. Put, 
God's, I love dreams with God. Some of them are so weird. There's some angels in the angelic realm. They do not look human. I saw one recently, and God showed me how he's helping somebody. And this, this creature had eyes in the back of his head, and you read Revelation. What I'm trying to say is, God's not like trying to be compatible with us. If he wants to give you a dream, and a frog speaks, and a dove comes out of the mouth, and two characters from Lord of the Rings are flying over, and Mary Poppins burps or something in your dream, like, <laughs> he can do whatever he wants to. He didn't quietly say, Paul, I don't want to throw you off too much. So let me appear before you and make things normal. The only thing normal in life is that little button on your washing machine. He shows up. I had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul probably wakes up. Is this God? Is this God? I don't know. I don't know. Quit searching for clarity all the time because if you get your clarity, it may not be God. God doesn't want you to have clarity because you won't have to wrestle with him. Israel was birthed out of a wrestling match with Jacob. Israel was birthed out of a wrestling match. Some of you right now are in a wrestling match and it's God ordained because he's turning you into steel and he's turning you into iron. He's turning you into leather and it's not supposed to be easy. He's not supposed to tell you what's next, young person. Well, in three years, I don't... you know what? I'd hate for you to have some anxiety. Let me tell you who you're supposed to marry and when you're going to marry and the day you're going to die. We just need to grow up. I told Wendy, I said, I have a hunch that our lives a couple of years from now are going to take a dramatic turn. You see, God moves on holy hunches. He doesn't move on holy clarity. Somebody said, how long are you going to pastor Bridgeway Church? I have no idea. I don't know. Where's Sam going to college? Who knows? Who knows if he will go to college? I don't know. I don't know. If you know too much, it may be your plans and not his. For I know the plans I have for you. I looked at Tim Harris a year and a half ago. I said, when do you retire? He said, what? I said, you heard me. When do you retire? I looked at Mike Jones. I said, you're moving from Clinton. You're out of here. He said, he stared at me. We're on that hike. Why? Because God has plans for us. He's God, we're not, and he delivers them. But then the choice to obey the plans is up to us or not. Oh, gosh, I, I hear it going, here it is. And a lot of times what we're going through, even in our marriages and in our friendships and interpersonal conflict, the seasons aren't being stirred by the enemy. They're being stirred by the Father. God will intentionally cause some disturbance in your life to groom you. James 1 says it better than I can. Be patient. Let perseverance have its work. Do I really need perseverance on vacation? I mean, honestly, you wake up. I go to sleep every night. It's about 64 degrees. There's a breeze coming in. It's like I'm in heaven. I tell Wendy, I'm like, I I don't ever want to leave here. It's just not reality. But a lot of charismatics and a lot of spirit-filled people that walk with the Holy Spirit, we keep thinking that there's a day coming when it's going to be so calm and perfect, and that's when I will have arrived. It's never going to happen. It always happens on the inside of a person. You said it this morning. It happens on the inside of a person. Surely he prepares before me a quiet place in the presence of calamity, in the presence of chaos. I should be carrying so much chaos that my externals really can't affect me. This is the way Paul was. So watch this. I got to close here. Watch this because a lot of people say, well, the will of God is the safest place on earth. Really? 
11 of the apostles died. Watch this. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave Macedonia, <laughs> concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they go. From Troas, I'm so hungry, I almost just said from tacos. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I just, you know, Madagascar, when he's from tacos, we put cheese on them. I'm serious. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for that place. And next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Watch this. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of these listening was a woman from the city of Thyatria named Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth. And she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond in Paul's message. Even the grace was on her to receive the message. Paul can't even break through to her unless God touches her heart. We don't really do anything. He will make you look wonderful in the lives of your peers if you will just hush and do what he says. Hey, Paul can't even get her to listen. So Holy Spirit, just lay your hands on her heart and she'll listen. Poof, she listens. Oh, Paul's such an amazing communicator. No, he's not. It's Jesus again. Next, next passage. Next, when she and the members of her house were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are the servants of the most high God whom you were telling about the way to be saved. And then Paul can't take it anymore. She kept this up for many days. Paul snaps. He becomes annoyed that he turned around and said, the name of Jesus Christ come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city in uproar. Watch this. By advocating customs unlawful for us Roman citizens uh, or practice to accept our practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. The Holy Spirit led them straight into a place where they were encounter major persecution and suffering. If I had more time, but even when it got bumpy, they go to prison, they're praising God, they lead a jailer to the Lord, grace is there, and they don't even run away. When you do what the Father says, when he says, and how to set, there's such a grace on you, then even what comes against you is not heavy. Do you know the only thing that's heavy in our lives? When we're fishing in a pond, he told us not to fish in. When we're throwing our net on the wrong side of the boat. There's even a grace in the middle of the furnace when I'm being obedient. His yoke is easy and his burden is light when it doesn't look so. There's a place in God that when the temperature gets the highest, you actually feel a cool breeze on your face. 